You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. Um, Andy Jorgensen has discipled many men in our church through singleness and um, even marriage as a single guy. But like now he's married and is, we're excited about how he's going to keep doing that. But I know he's going to bless you as he's blessed me in, in the past. So he's going to bring the word and we're going to learn from him and hear what the Lord has. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you today. Uh, if you have Bibles, would you open up to Matthew 13? We're going to continue in the walk through the book of Matthew. Uh, like Jazz said, my name is Andy Jorgensen. Uh, I've been a part of this church for eight years now. Uh, I remember it was a little uh, toddler church. We were doing folding chairs and setting them all up every Sunday, so it's come a long, way, a long ways. Uh, note on the Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, uh, look ahead of you in the chairs. There's a rack, and you'll see some Bibles there. And if you don't own a Bible, go ahead and take that one. That's our gift to you. So, um, yeah, we've been here. Uh, my wife over here, uh, she's the adorable woman in the front, Kara Jorgensen now. We've been uh, married for four months, big time. Yeah, we're, we're experts by now. I had to talk to uh, all the married people in the room. Like, yeah, four months, you're an expert, right? You can write a book, it's coming out next week. Uh, no, it's, it's been a treasure. It's been a blessing to be married to her. Um, we're both, you know, older when we got married, and so we're just adjusting to this, and it's just been a joy. It's been an absolute joy to be married, and I've loved that so much. Um, I've been learning under Jonathan Land for the entirety of the time that I belonged to the church, and that has also been a tremendous blessing to me. When he met me, when I walked into Rosa Parks Elementary School, I had this 2000 Buick Regal. Some of you might remember. There's rust all over the thing. And previously, I had driven around the nation in it, not knowing what I was going to do in life. And so I thought to myself, I'm going to go back to Sioux Falls, maybe check out a couple churches, but likely I'm gone. And Jonathan Land, uh, through the spirit, uh, through him planting Connection Church, was the one who challenged me, say, hey man, don't go live in your car, do something with your life. And I gotta tell you, that sounds like common sense, but to 22-year-old Andy, that wasn't quite what I wanted. I wanted to stretch my legs a little bit, I wanted to adventure. And in, in learning under his teaching and belonging to this church, God has anchored me in a way that I could not have picked for myself. I could not have left SDSU and said, here's the path that my life is gonna take, you're gonna do this, then this, then this. Uh, but it's been such a blessing to be a part of the church, and I can thank a lot of people in this room for just what he's done in my life. And so for any of you that are maybe a little bit anxious about being a part of a church, maybe this church is one that you're checking out right now, or maybe you've been here a long time, and membership is kind of looming, and it seems like this big scary thing. I've been a part of it for eight years, and I'm not dead yet. So that's an encouragement in a minor way. So one of the biggest ways that we stay anchored um, in, the, in uh, the scriptures, which this is probably the most embarrassing that's ever happened to me as I've preached. I've preached a couple times. Jazz, can you hand me a Bible? <laughs> Never happened before, probably in the History Connection Church, but there had to be something that went wrong, right? One of the ways 
As we segue into this, one of the ways we stay anchored as a church is by opening up God's word because guys like me and human beings will come and they will forget things and they'll feel things in the morning when they wake up and they maybe had some bad breakfast and whatever emotions come out uh, are kind of coming from my heart. But if you anchor God's word, if you anchor the teaching of the church in God's word, it removes the mistakes it removes all of the things that could be variable on a Sunday morning. And it means when I preach, or when Jonathan preach, preaches, or when Jazz preaches, it's the same word. It's God's word through us. It's not my voice coming for whatever I had this morning. It's whatever I had yesterday for the mood that I'm in today. And so this is a guard. And so I want every single one of us to be opening this, keeping it open as I preach so that we don't miss a thing of what God is saying today. And so up to this point in our study of Matthew, Jesus' teaching has been fairly explicit. He's been pretty straightforward. There's a lot of topics in here that he addresses head-on. Anxiety, fasting, don't judge people, love your enemies. Things that are kind of questions in your mind, but they, they come out and Jesus hits them head-on. And the next thing that we see is that uh, he talks about how to pray, how to fast. He also goes through the Beatitudes. And so last week, Pastor Jonathan led us through topics of family. What does it look like in the kingdom? And the Sabbath before that. But Jesus is starting to now attract a crowd with his teaching. It's going pretty well. At least he's creating a stir. And when that happens, his approach changes. And for the first time, he is teaching in what we call parables. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It uses vivid imagery to get you thinking. And then it teaches you a lesson implicitly. It's a little less direct, but for those who think through it, it, it starts to make sense, and a, and a meaning just kind of comes out. This is something we're used to in some of the nursery rhymes we've said, or some of the lessons you might teach your kids. Uh, for example, the tortoise and the hare. You guys remember that story? Tortoise and the hare, the turtle and the rabbit, they race, the arrogant rabbit runs all the way to the end, and he says, ha ha, I'm going to win, easy passes out and takes a nap. He's just like, whatever, I'm going to kick my feet up. And then the turtle just keeps going and going and going, and he wins. What's the lesson to that story? Slow and steady wins the race, right? There's an apparent lesson that jumps out at you. And the next one is the boy who cried wolf. If you think about it, I actually don't even think I've read that or even heard it told to me, but you get the gist of it. The Boy Who Cried Wolf is a story where he keeps crying out in fright and fear that there's some danger coming, and it doesn't come. And then by the time the wolf comes, nobody listens to him. What's the lesson? The more you cry, the less you're heard. Probably the lesson of that story. I, <laughs> that's the best I could come up with. Could have looked it up. Not the point. The point is that there are stories with apparent moral lessons, and the lessons just jump out at you. And today, we find Jesus using this same method. He's using a story, but instead of life lessons, he's trying to illustrate the kingdom of God. And as you can expect, the meaning of the kingdom of God within the context of the story doesn't just jump out at everybody who heard it. In fact, it leaves some people confused. And that's understanding because explaining the mysteries of God's kingdom with a story is quite a feat. If you guys could write that yourselves, you'd probably make a lot of money. Jesus does it really well. But it's like using rabbits and turtles to explain calculus by comparison. There's a lesson here, the rabbit and the hare, 
Sloan said he wins the race, and that, okay, that's a good lesson. Now explain calculus with rabbits and turtles. Whoa, that's pretty hard. Jesus does a great job with it today, but it, as we see today, it leaves a, a few people kind of questioning, and it leaves a couple people kind of wondering. So if you would open up with me, literally open with me, to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read the first 23 verses. Starting with the first one. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell along the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up. And since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they were withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then... The disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak in parables? And he answered them and said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even he who has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear. Nor do I understand, <clears throat> nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophet of Isaiah is fulfilled in saying, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart. And to turn, I will heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and for your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. As for what is sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he who has root in himself, he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, he immediately falls away. As for what was sown amongst the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but cares the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word and prove it unfaithful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in a case a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. This is God's word. So <clears throat> Jesus starts out using something that's pretty relatable to the Israelites and it's pretty relatable to me and you, agriculture. Uh, fortunately, as, Midwestern, as Midwesterners, this relates to us. This has been something that would have been a daily occurrence for them. 
They would have seen this as they walked on roads. They would have seen things grow about them. It's kind of like for some of us, we've been watching corn grow for a couple decades. All right, we get this. We get the analogy that he's using. It's using agriculture. He uses it a lot. There's a few key differences that we should note. Uh, first, it's a little different because people would regularly walk in each other's fields. Good luck with that today. Uh, it was a regular thing for people to be walking, and as they'd walk, the, the dirt would get pounded down and it would form paths or sidewalks. Uh, and for travelers, that's what they used as roads, to just cut through. Next, they used a scatter and grind method. And so it wasn't precise, right? They didn't have John Deere tractors or Case IH, whatever team you're on there. They didn't have that. They weren't precise with it. They just scattered seed. So you can picture a sower in this story. He's just taking seed. He's throwing it. He's throwing it, and he's throwing it. It's very imprecise. But then they would grind it into the dirt afterwards. And so a lot could happen to that. As you can imagine, there's a lot of things that could get ground up in the dirt. And so seeds would fall on the paths or the sidewalks. The birds would eat it. There goes your investment. No more seeds. And there were rock beds under the dirt that you couldn't see, and so when the seeds were ground into it, it would start to grow, and then all of a sudden, the rest of the crop was good, and then the, there was a dead spot, several dead spots. There's where the rocks are. That didn't work. And then there were these tough, like thorny, sturdy bushes that they would grind into the dirt, and they would just grind it right in. They wouldn't take, ch take the chance to remove every little imperfection. They would just grind it right in. But what would happen is these thorny bushes would get mixed in with the seeds, and they would raise up their own plants and compete for each other and kill the other one. So why is this important? Why are we explaining how this works? Because apparently, this is you and me. This is the hearers of God's word and the response to Jesus' good news. And you might say, well, that's all right. We're all here. We're the good soil, right? Amen. We're the good soil. It's not that easy. Apparently, Jesus said that there's four different ways that you could hear God's word. And one out of four, that seems like pretty good odds. But this, there's something that we can say that the passage says for sure. And that's the exact same message can be heard several different ways. I'm going to keep poking the iPad until the slide comes up. What are we doing here? All right, we're going to keep going. There's going to be a phrase on the screen here. What, it, what it's going to say is the exact same message can be heard lots of different ways. Let's just take, for example, maybe you're a parent, you're a spouse, you have coworkers, or you're a teacher. You get this better than anybody, right? You get this. Here's the phrase. What did I just say? I said words. You heard this that doesn't make any sense. If you're a teacher, you say, hey, listen up, listen up, listen up. I said this. Bobby, what did I say? Got no clue, right? It says something completely different. In, if you've preached a sermon, it's, it's an interesting experience. Uh, it's very interesting because it seems as though God's word has a way, in a very good way, of taking flight in people's hearts and, and, and revealing things that we as preachers never say. And so, What's happened before is I'll get done preaching a sermon and someone will say, hey, thank you so much. You said this good word. When you said this thing, that really spoke to me. I didn't say that thing. I'm scrolling through my sermon and I'm like, I, I didn't say that. That's evidence that the Holy Spirit was doing something cool. 
And that's really awesome. There's other times that doesn't work out so great. There's times I preach a sermon, same sermon, and someone will give me, they'll, they'll give me a, they'll let me know their mind. They'll say, hey, you said this thing, and I'm really mad about that. I was like, oh, no, like I said something bad, and then all of a sudden, I'll go back and listen to the live stream. I didn't say that thing. <laughs> I didn't say it. And so what we could see is the exact same message can be heard from different, from different ears and get completely different results. Now, Jesus expects this, and he knows his message is going to be received by some and not others. He even decrees a phrase in here, he who has ears, let him hear. He's saying, no, for real, pay attention. No, no, seriously, don't miss this. What I just said, hear this, listen to this. And the disciples are absolutely baffled that he's even using stories. Why didn't you just tell him straight, Jesus? You just healed blind people. You cast out demons. You just did the most miraculous things we've ever seen. Now there's a huge crowd, and we want you to put on a show. Or they're ready to see some fireworks. They're gonna, he's going to get in this boat, and they're just anxious. They're ready. They're ready for him to listen. And he tells a story. And they're disappointed. So they go up and they ask him. In verses 10 through 16, he has an explanation and it is far, far more complex, but yet deep, as just explaining agriculture. It's challenging. His reason isn't immediately clear. He says, To you it has been given the, to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. This is a hard word. He's saying they're not supposed to understand what I said. They're not supposed to go home clapping, all right? This wasn't for the show. I wasn't supposed to win their ears. Jesus meant for some to understand the parable, namely the disciples, and he meant for others not to. He was describing the people that wouldn't understand. He intends for the parable to sort and to separate. And sorting and separating and, and people not hearing and him intending all that stuff, that's a hard word. That's not something that immediately makes us get up and be excited. But it reflects God's sovereignty, his power, his plan, his orchestration. In a lot of ways, with the time we have, this text poses a lot of questions that it doesn't immediately answer. And so today, I can't do a large number of justice explaining the sovereignty of God, because that's not the point of this text. Uh, but it becomes clear if we teach God's God's word, that his sovereignty is evident, and it's evident in the way God and Jesus tell stories. Here's what we can say for sure about that, though. I can tell you one thing that is encouraging. Understanding Jesus is a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. Understanding the spiritual realities of the universe, the kingdom of God, it says secrets here. The word secrets means a divine mystery. It means something we couldn't understand on our own. And why is that good news? Why is seeing Jesus for who he is a gift, an unmerited favor? We didn't earn that. Why is that a good thing? Because the disciples didn't have to earn it. They weren't smart enough. They didn't have degrees. They had Jesus. And that's all they needed. They just needed the one to be with him, to trust him, Otherwise, in the Bible, it says, Romans, in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift 
of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not by your own doing, but it is the gift of God. That's good news. Do you in this room get Jesus? Say thank you. Throw your hands up and praise him for that. You've received a gift that we couldn't possibly get on our own. We didn't earn it. We didn't understand it. We couldn't figure it out without Jesus. And that's why it's grace. If you could earn it, if you could read enough books, if you could take enough classes, it wouldn't be grace. It'd be earned. If you could figure it out and if you could think your way through it, you'd just be really smart. It wouldn't be grace. But Ephesians 2.9, so that no man may boast, it's grace. And it's not on us. It's a gift. And this is fuel for mission. This is fuel for how we interact with one another. Now as Christians, as we see each other in the lobby, as we see each other in supermarkets, whether it's a part of this church or a church in Africa or a church down the street, we get to look at each other and we can posture our hearts towards each other as people who have received the same gift. You too? Yes, me too! What color is yours? Same color! It's the same. We both have the same gift. We've both been blessed in the same way. It's not that we've figured something out. And that fuels mission. Because when you have a source of joy that came by no means of yourself, you can't help but say, I want other people to have this. Can, can other people have it? Can the people I love with and interact with, can they have it? And you can't help but think of specific people in your life who you want to have the gift too. We are called to be fruitful. This is Verse 12 is best interpreted as an encouragement of spiritual fruitfulness. If we read verse 12, it, it sounds like some injustice. Like, for those who have been given, more will be given. And some that'll be, that don't have will be taken away. Like, that's really unjust. That's not what he's getting at. That's not the point here. The point is that he's calling us to be fruitful. When he talks about the one who's been given more, he's saying, go out and give it and we'll give you more. Go out, be fruitful. He says more on this on the chapter, uh, the parable of the talents. Chapter 25 in Matthew. We'll probably reach that at some point. But to whom much is expected, uh, much is required. To to whom much is given, much is expected. And so he calls back to Isaiah 6. uh, Because as people are telling their friends and coworkers, you might see something that is a regular occurrence as Christians and a regular rub that we have as we're fruitful, and even some cases, and even my own heart, causes me to not want to talk about the gift. And that's that people tend to not hear it, as Jesus described, and it tends to fall on deaf ears. And Jesus isn't surprised by this. This is the tale as old as time. Same old song and dance. He calls back to Isaiah 6 in this passage, and he says, It's been like this for centuries, all right? Jesus, why are you telling parables? People are leaving, they're walking away. He's like, they've been walking away for hundreds and hundreds of years. Same old song and dance, God's word is proclaimed, and people ignore it. They don't care. They don't understand, and they don't want to understand. Why is this? Why don't some people want to understand? Because some people just don't care. Ignorance is bliss. Some people... And even me and you, in a lot of ways, we just don't care. After all, why listen to your doctor tell you that what you're doing is killing you slowly when you could just 
keep doing the thing that's killing you slowly and be happy? How many bad habits do we have that's actually destroying us? How many family members have you talked to? Hey, that thing you're doing, you keep, you keep tipping it back, you keep doing this thing. You've got to stop that lifestyle. It's killing you, but as you probably have experienced, it's usually deaf ears. Why? Some people just don't care. They don't care what's good for them. They don't care about that. And that's exactly what Isaiah and Jesus are feeling. They're feeling the exact same thing. These people are dying. They don't even care. People walk around. They don't understand the kingdom of God. They don't care. They won't be bothered by God's word. So when the disciples approach Jesus and say, hey, why are you being so cryptic? His answer isn't, I was trying to win over their minds. It's, he wasn't trying to do that. He, know that's a, he knows that's a dead-end game. As some of you, <clears throat> some of you might see that there's a tension building here. And it happens often, and you might have thought of it, uh, but there's a perplexing balance between people's rejection and their own response, being responsible for that response, and God's sovereignty and control. And I just got to tell you, that's normal if you feel tension. That's okay. That's a normal thing, all right? If that blows your mind and causes tension, you're normal because scholars and commentators and really, really smart people have been discussing, arguing, and debating this for centuries. All right, so I can't absolve it today. I know that's disappointing. Maybe some of you guys want me to pick a fight right now, and I'm not going to do that. Uh, that's not the point of the text. But the text does not hold both of those things in tension. And that's important. Remember what I said at the start of the sermon? I said, when we start holding God's word, when we start holding this seriously, we just take what it says, and then we interpret our lives through it, it starts to get challenging. It's not what I think or what I would want. But I do have a couple notes that would be helpful on the topic and in the tension. One, that balance is not even the most perplexing balance in the Bible. It's not even the weirdest thing you could think about. God being in charge and us being accountable seems like a trick until you zoom out and consider how a holy, righteous, awesome God of perfection exists with far-off, broken sinners like me and you. How does that coexist? I, I don't get that. How, I don't understand that. But you know what goes through my, my head? I don't want my thoughts on display. I, it's easy for me to understand my own sin if, if, if I projected my thoughts on the screen. Does anybody else, do you want, would you, you know, maybe don't raise your hand, would anybody in this room want their thoughts regularly live streamed on a big screen? And I'm guessing probably not. And that just shows that there's imperfection within us. And much like Ryan Franchuk preached back in October, if there's a water bottle and it's pure water and you're going to take a drink, it's the purest water, but someone takes a drop of urine and puts it in the water, would you drink it? No, of course you wouldn't. Why? Because there's an impurity. Now take that, multiply that times the holiness and majesty of God, and now our minds are blown as to how that even coexists, how he deals with us. Then you take that reckoning, and that thing that's beyond explanation, that's the guy that we're reading about right here. You want to go one further? That God, righteous, holy, and perfect, came down from heaven and took the form of the imperfect, broken human person and lived among us. That's even more insane than thus coexisting as he's actually amongst us and one of us. 
And so that's what we're reading about right here. And friends, we're not called to figure everything out. The text doesn't say, you got to figure this out. We're called to trust Jesus. That's the point. The point is trust Jesus. We're called to put down our nets, put down our pens, put down our doubt and trust. That doesn't mean we punt on hard conversations. That doesn't mean we turn our brains completely off and stop thinking and stop wondering and stop seeking and yearning knowledge. We don't ignore hard things, but there's a difference between ceaseless striving for understanding and the sweet song of assurance. And for some of you, that might be what's actually causing tension in your life. The tension you feel, that, that, oh my gosh, there's a tension. I I cannot rest until this is reconciled. The tension's probably not coming from the topic. The tension's coming from the internal desire to relentlessly know every single thing before you put your foot forward. And friend, if you want to know what's real, and you want to know what's fake, and you want to know everything that's correct, and you exhaust all your resources, and you dissect all the sermons, and you plow over pastors who don't agree with you, and it feels righteous, I get it. You know how I know this? It's because it's me. I want to know every little data point before I make a decision. And some of you know me in this, and you're like, yup, it's, it, it's terrible. I have to know every little answer before I'm going to step my foot forward. And you know what that takes? No faith. Not an ounce of faith if you have every single thing figured out. It's totally on my intellect. And so it's not a bad desire to know truth, to know the exact truth but you're missing it. You're missing it. The truth has come, and he's right in front of you. He's right here, telling stories. The truth has come, and his name is Jesus. Would you rest in him today? Would you just trust? Would we see the bigger story here? There's a bigger reason that Jesus came. Would you see that he was not just a guy telling stories? He's actually somebody that is fulfilling things that we probably couldn't have made on our own. So I said, like, Jesus and Isaiah both preached God's word to a people that didn't want to listen, right? They have that in common. But unlike Isaiah, who would faithfully preach and wait for the promised hope before he died, he would never see the promised hope. Jesus says something in verse 17 that changes the whole ballgame. We'll read it on screen. He says, for truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to hear and to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. For hundreds of years, holy and righteous men longed for an expected Messiah. These people studied, they prayed, and they longed for a Savior who would come in wipe out their enemy, and fulfill the role of king over the nations. He would take away all their suffering. They would suffer no more. They would be outcasts no more, and they would come back. Things would be brought right again. He would restore them. And best of all, it would bring them into a right relationship with God that had gone so horribly wrong. And they believed it so much that they would dedicate their entire lives to it. They would risk being rejected by families and friends. They would get beat for it, and they would even die just waiting to see it. They would have risked everything. And Jesus says to the disciples, pay attention. You are seeing something that 
no man has ever seen before, and men before would love to see it. And oh, to be there. Just think, oh, to be right in front of Jesus, to watch him, to see thousands of years of studying and prophecies and studying and prophecies, oh, to be with him, to be a disciple and to have done nothing on your own to see this, but to see all of eternity fulfilled right before your very eyes. That's so huge. Something so intangibly big, it makes you tremble. Does it make you shake? That you had nothing to do with it. The only thing that it comes to mind, and it's, it's silly, but it's actually pretty awesome, the only thing that even comes close was a solar eclipse that happened in 2017. You guys, anybody else see that? 2017. Down in Nebraska, there was like three hours away, uh, <clears throat> one of my friends, he's a smart dude, I don't pay attention to this stuff, he's like, for 50 years they've been talking about this eclipse, and it's next week, do you want to come? I was like, yeah. So we jump in a car, and we drove three hours through Nebraska. I'll never forget this. And as we got there, there was about this many people were gathered in a field, and they're setting up telescopes, and they're waiting and some of them are like taking notes, and some of them are taking measurements of the sky. I had no idea. I don't know what I was doing. I was just there to look. And then we all got up, and everybody put their things down, and we looked up, and sure enough, the sun had a little shadow, and it moved in. And I was picture, 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 right? I was like, that was it for me. I was like, this is insane. I'm taking pictures, and I finally just threw it down. I said, no, I want to behold this. The moon is coming over the sun, and it's perfectly fitting so that the very millimeter of me looking at it is completely darkening it. That's insane. And I got to witness this huge thing, and I didn't know a thing about it. Oh, to be with Jesus as a disciple, and to witness, not the sun, not the moon coming, not everything go dark, but brightness and hope coming that people have studied for centuries and centuries. This is the fulfillment. This is the sower that is talking to us here. This is the hope that everyone longed to see. And as you can tell, sowing is a generous thing. Our sower is very generous with his seeds. And now because of that, we are estranged to God no more. And the sin and the mess-ups and the mistakes that once held a case against us are completely powerless. And that you and I don't have to stay awake at night wondering if everything's going to be okay. Because he is sovereign and because he is in control and because he came, we know everything's going according to plan. So there's a couple ways that we can receive this. There's a couple illustrations that he uses and this is going to be the, the quickest section that we've got because frankly, Jesus does a good job explaining it. Uh, he, say, he, recepts, uh, he says there's four ways to receive it. He says there's the path, seed falls on the path, the rock, the thorns, and the good soil. Each of them represents a person's receptiveness to Jesus. And we'll go through them because I've said a lot about it already. We've talked about it. We could just go home. I could just read what Jesus said. You guys could go home and just think about which one's you. We could do that. But we all know how Sunday afternoons go. And I've got a microphone attached to my face, so let's do this, all right? Let's do it. The path is the hearing that we have with a hardened heart. 
I've said tons about this already, but in case you missed it, in case you didn't see it on the screen, these are people that just don't care. They hear the message, they hear what he's saying, they, 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 they have it in their ears, there's nothing going on. No response, no change, nothing. And maybe that's, maybe that's you today. I don't know. Maybe this is your first time in worship service. Maybe you think that all this is real weird. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you've been here for months and months and months, or even years. Maybe your family or your spouse drags you here. And frankly, it's better to just come here than put up a fight. But emotionally and maybe physically, you got your arms crossed, you got a neck stiff, and you're thinking about football most of the time. Insert whatever it is, the thing that's more interesting than this. Just know, if this applies to you, and you're hearing my, my voice right now, we're going to be praying that the Holy Spirit comes in and messes all that up. We're going to pray that God comes in and he just jacks you up and all of that posture is just completely gone. If you've been coming here for a long time, that's probably already true. There's people already praying for you. So be encouraged. There's people that love you here and we're not going to give up. As for people with the rocky soil, the best way to say this is this a fair weather fan. Jesus says if you are the person who's started growing and grew up and then died and hit rock, when the sun rises up, it's like a fair weather fan. It says it receives with joy, meaning you had happy enthusiasm, maybe you're super excited, there's a lot of emotions to it, there's a lot of friends and there's a lot of things going on, and your life was really, really bad, and then all of a sudden there was a hope that those bad things were going to go away. So you heard the gospel, you accepted Jesus into your heart, and you expected an upgrade. No more struggles at all. No more sadness. No more suffering of any kind. As, as a lot of us can say in this room, and some of you can say this better than others, there is suffering. And Jesus promises suffering. This ain't no cakewalk. All right? And so as soon as you finally feel like you are making it, and growth is happening, and you're expecting that it was going to be a cakewalk and it was going to be easy, or that the emotion you were feeling was going to last forever, things change. Hardships come because he promises they will. Relationships around you change. Now you feel isolated and the feeling of strength wears off that you once had. Maybe you had somebody pouring into your life. Maybe you had a role. Maybe you were doing this and everything was going great and all of a sudden the very strength is wiped out of you and you feel duped. And you feel tricked by Jesus and you start rejecting him. You start rejecting the very thing that you feel hurts you. I ain't gonna touch that again. Friend, you might have been sold a bag, bad bag of goods, but it wasn't by Jesus. All right? Jesus wasn't the one that hurt you. It was the things your faith was in the whole time. The things that maybe your mind was going towards, the way that you pictured your life going was maybe the thing you actually wanted the whole time and that's what you gave your life to. Jesus was just a way for you to get it. People, friends, finance, a better version of yourself. Jesus was just a way to get that. But we know this, a committed life of Christ will include hardship. And while all those things change, here's the encouragement for you guys. While friends 
And sometimes relationships that we love change. And while money is hard sometimes and health is sapped away from us, Jesus never changes. Never changes. He's never going to. You can trust him because he knows what your hardship looks like firsthand. He's not a stranger. And while a committed life of Christ includes hardship, take this encouragement. Perseverance through the hardship is how depth is gained. Think about this. Your best friendships that you have started out with a great time, but they were forged in strength with hard times. A lot of the best relationships you have, they were great. It was an awesome time. And we, we excite, we're excited about that. We praise God for the good times. But it's in the hard times that when you lean into that and friends lean into one another, that's when the relationships are built. And so, friend, are you struggling right now? Are you questioning? You feel bitter about Jesus? Is something not going your way? Lean into him. I dare you. Lean in. Take a leap. You will find grace. You'll find it. You will find growth. The last one is the thorny soil, the distracted here. Uh, this is me all day long. This is, this is me all day long. As I read this, the first note I took on this whole passage is I read this, the thorny soil, multiple directions in life, boom, that's me. As in, that's me. I can't tell you how many ways there are to make money right now. My, my mind sees it, under, I'm like, whoa, whoa, there's that, and there's that, and there's that, and my entrepreneurial mind goes nuts right? The opportunities are endless. Oh my gosh. And so on a weekly basis, I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? Okay. Well, easy, easy. Okay. But there's artificial intelligence. You guys heard about that? Oh my goodness. Okay. No, stay anchored, stay anchored. And then something else hits me and it splits my attention and I can't let go of things. My wife is probably learning that very well right now. <laughs> Once I get something, I got some health issues that just bog me down. All right, it's nothing you need to feel sorry for me for, but they impact me every single day and they're annoying, all right? And so I don't like it. And I sought some help and I didn't get any answers. So naturally, I'm going to dedicate my every waking minute to learning everything about the topic so I can fix them. And as you can imagine, that takes a lot of my attention. And now I can tell you all the latest research about biomes and endotoxemias and omega 3s and yeah, bore you to sleep. Here's what I can't tell you. I read the book of Joel two weeks ago. Not a clue. Not a clue. I opened it up. I said, Joel, I watched the YouTube video on what does it mean, and I have an idea what it means. Like, I get the gist of it. But I can't tell you right now, I can't preach Joel, even in the slightest. I can preach all that other stuff, and I can excite you, I can use my energy. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's exactly what he's talking about. Following Jesus demands focus. There's an old adage that was helpful to me. If you try to catch two rabbits, you'll catch neither. I think somebody else is controlling the slides. If you try to catch two rabbits, you'll catch neither. That's some of the most helpful things for a guy like me. And maybe this is you. Maybe this is you. If you're catching two rabbits, you try to chase them, you're probably not going to come back with a rabbit. Jesus is saying, there's only one thing you need to pursue. So friend, what's the other thing that you are pursuing right now? Better ask this question, what's the one thing besides Jesus? Because this is a person that has Jesus' excitement and joy, and they're going to read God's word, but they're really excited about this thing. 
What's the thing that you're actually excited about? What's the one thing that if you get it, you're good? I, I know I have Jesus, yeah, duh. But, 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 if I had this much money in my bank account when I was this year's old, if I have this many houses, I'm, I'm this. If I have this health, if my kids are this thing, then we're good. Jesus says that might be the thing that kills you. It's crazy, it's crazy, but my thoughts and the distractions are to be taken seriously. And if I'm not putting the same amount of effort, the same amount of joy and emotion, that doesn't mean we don't put joy and emotion and effort into the things that we do, but if I'm not, Jesus says, be wary, because that's not useful. He's looking for people that are all in, and that's the good soil. That's the person who hears, understands, and takes action. They're the people that left their nets, left their families, They heard God's word. They left their jobs to follow Jesus. And he calls us to do that. And he doesn't do it because he's cruel. He's not doing it because he just wants to punish you. He's doing it because he's worth it. He's worth it. Did you read what he said here? He bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold. In another, sixtyfold. In another, 30. Friends, he's saying this is the best investment in history. Anything else you could be investing the majority of your time, talent, and treasures in is just not worth it. Back in their day, a hundredfold crop is mind-blowing. And he's trying to communicate that to you, that the thing that we're pursuing, the thing that's holding us back, is the lesser investment. And that he is the true investment and he can be trusted. He's the best investment in history. He's the best hope in history. And he's the fulfillment of everything that you've been waiting for. And he wants to see that in us. He wants to see fruit in us. So friends, as a church, how are we going to respond? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for giving us your word. This gives us insight into life that we could not have on our own. I thank you so much for giving us people to teach us and for people to shape us. Uh, We thank you so much for the fruit that you bear in those who hear. We ask that today if there are some who do not hear, if there are some that are stiff and they're spiritually dead, would you wake their souls today with the Holy Spirit, with the reading of your word in an imperfect manner, even in the way that is imperfect, would you use that in some small way, whether now or 20 years from now, would you shake what they think is real and would you show them how real you are and how purposeful you are towards them? For the rest of us, would you give us hearts that are excited, hearts that are focused, hearts that mean it when we say we love you? For those that are struggling about what once was, would you give us hearts to grow and to lean in and give us boldness. For you came boldly to us. We can just follow your example and we can praise you for this. In your name, amen.